Welcome back to the Modern Mindfulness Podcast. I am your guide, Rebecca, and today I have Keith Fiveson. Hi, Keith. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. All right. So before we dive in, I would like to share just a little bit about Keith. So Keith is an Army veteran and is currently located in Port Washington, New York. He holds a Master of Divinity and is a certified addictions recovery coach, certified professional coach, and a contemplative psychotherapy and mindfulness coach. He is also the author of the book, The Mindfulness Experience. Uh, all of those titles, you're in the right place today because this there's so many things we could go into. And I'm curious to know just a little bit more about what has led you to this point, to like hearing all of these things, certified professional coach, contemplative psychotherapy. Could we hear just a, a little bit of the last maybe couple decades of your life. <laughs> well, you know, and that's and that's probably appropriate given my uh, my age. Uh, you know, I'm 66 years old now. I just turned 66. It's a big year, and uh, uh, you know, I really got into uh, mindfulness and meditation uh, probably back in '92. I was uh, in a corporate career, a very successful corporate career uh, executive you know, um, and, uh, very stressful. I was with a telecom company and, uh, sort of like telecom, uh, for example, the head, I was with MCI and the head of uh, the company in the technology area was Vince Cerf and Vince Cerf is the guy who's in charge of Google's, um, you know, forward. He's the visionary. He's the visionary guy over at Google. So that gives you a sense of terms of that area. So we were doing a lot of work, working a lot. And I, uh, was, uh, really stressed out. And, uh, I took a meditation class, uh, with, uh, a fellow by the name of Montak Chia, who's over in Thailand, who's still around, uh, you master Montak Chia. It was a Taoist meditation class, uh, equivalent to a Tantra yoga class, if you will, about doing breath work and body work and moving energy. And, uh, it really transformed my life, uh, my perspective. And I was able to deal with stress more effectively. That sort of led me into a yoga class. I became a yoga teacher uh, and then wound up doing a whole bunch of other things, uh, reflexology certificate, uh, uh, body somatic uh, work around uh, time massage, and uh, which is basically passive yoga. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, it helped me in my corporate career uh, and I, uh, continued to do that, uh, continued on with uh, my MDiv, uh, did uh, some work in the contemplative psychotherapy area with Nalanda Institute, uh, wound up doing uh, other work uh, specifically in the area of studying mindfulness with various teachers like uh, Robert Thurman, with Dan Siegel, with Sharon Salzberg, you know, all were my teachers. Uh, and this is all while I was in the corporate world. So I, I sort of straddled both worlds and often wanted to get out of the corporate world because of the stress, because I, uh, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I, I've had cancer twice, and fortunately, I did not um, you know, go through the operation. I actually walked out of the operation, uh, the, the, the surgery table twice, and uh, uh, decided to work uh, more homeopathic with a doctor out in Illinois, went, went vegetarian, 
uh, now I'm a vegan and uh, find that, you know, um, the doctor I worked with, I think the philosophy is, is really good, you know, basically said, listen, there are things that you can put in your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, and your body that pay rent. There's stuff that doesn't pay rent. And then there's stuff that destroys the house. Yes. So, uh, I think that's sort of a, a really good philosophy. And uh, it took me to a point where I got out of the corporate world. I retired from Price Waterhouse in 2016. And I decided to uh, do a, um, a certifica certification, a credentialing as an alcohol and substance abuse counselor uh, here in New York and also become a uh, certified addiction recovery coach. Uh, and I got into that really because I come from a uh, traumatic background. Uh, as a kid, my mom died 51 from uh, alcohol misuse. And uh, that left some scarring uh, psychologically. And I thought actually put me in a place where I th thought I could probably save the world or need to save. I, tr I couldn't save her. So I could do my best to try to save myself as well as others. And I uh, did that. And then I incorporated the mindfulness work because the, I, I really did a lot of work around meditation and Buddhism and so on incorporated that into the work. So that's really the area I focus in on now, which is using mindfulness as a way to, and uh, meditation as a way to recognize and choose different behaviors because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we all get stressed. We all get, uh, you know, fired and wired in a way that we may not want to. And instead of going for the Hagen dust, we might go for the piece of fruit, although Hagen dust does sound pretty inviting. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, it does. And as we were chatting before I hit record, I'm also all about the Hagen dust, the ice cream for some Swiss, joy. Swiss with... vanilla, Swiss vanilla almond. Okay. Yeah. That sounds delicious right now. And that's also part of health and the happiness as so many traditions share. And um, so, wow, what a background you have. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel like it's the right time to ask the one question I like to ask the guests when I have them on the podcast, the podcast is modern mindfulness. And so you, you and I use this word a lot. So I'm curious for you, what does modern mindfulness mean to you? Or why is it important these days to have these mm. practices? Mm. Well, you know, uh, we had this brief chat before and uh, talked about the fact that I like the name a lot. And I think what it is, is the ability to really be present in this crazy world of ours in a way that allows us to not get hung up and not get caught up on the trauma, you know, trauma TV, um, so many things that are going on or the consumerism culture, which is, you know, how can I go ahead and buy the next big thing so I can feel good about myself because, you know, the world is pretty messed up in a number of ways. So I think modern mindfulness is, is what you're really doing is you're taking an approach that allows people to realize that, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you're in, doesn't matter what church you go to, or if you don't go to church or what, you know, ocean you're swimming on, you know, we're all part of the same big sea. And that modern mindfulness uh, idea is to be able to see who you are and how you can play in the world. And I think, you know, doing that one breath at a time is very important. Mm. Mm. Yes, mm -hmm. I like that. 
Thank you. And mm-hmm. because it's come up a few times now, the T word trauma. Mm. And I know you do a lot of work with trauma and it sounds like you have done your own healing around trauma. And I, one of my mentors in the past year or two made the statement of we're, we're swimming in a sea of trauma right now, this collective trauma that really, for me personally, I don't think I thought too much about it. Um, I actually know a few years ago, I was teaching a teacher training and we talk about the chakra system and trauma came up. And even in my mind, I was thinking of emergency room trauma. To me, that was trauma. Um, so this was probably, I don't know, five years ago or so. And then since then, these light bulbs keep going off and these moments, even with some of my students at the time pointed out like, wow, I didn't realize that this thing in my life was traumatic to me, but now I'm learning that it is. And now there's so many articles and people offering trauma healing. And, and so it's definitely much more at the surface and what we've seen collectively just in the last couple of years, I just feel like trauma has been cracked open in different ways, you know, whether it was, well, way too many things to go into. So I'm curious what your take is on the collective trauma and what can people, um, well, let's start with the basics. What is trauma? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think everyone has it and some people uh, have it explicitly like, you know, it's, really clear. Like we got hurt, we got, you know, smacked, we got, you know, abused in some way physically. Uh, it's there, you see the stars, you know, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of people have had that, you know, it's, uh, it's the abuse is very high, especially now during COVID, you know, that's because people are, are wired up and there's a lot of energy there and there's a lot of worry and concern and that needs an outlet some way. Uh, it needs some recognition, you know, and, and it certainly needs a way to get out because when you push it in, it comes out in a very aberrant way, you know, and we've seen that we've seen it in the churches, we've seen it in the schools, we've seen it, you know, in our TV, just turn on TV and, you know, what you see all the time is, uh, uh, trauma and you see it not experiencing it explicitly, but you see it implicitly. So you see it in the movies, the end of the world movies, you know, there's always some bigger trauma going on than you possibly think you could have experienced in your life. So yeah, let me watch some movie about death or some killing or something else, because it makes me feel good. It actually lessens my own internal uh, insights of what I went through. Oh boy, you think I went through something bad. Let me go ahead and minimize it. So what's interesting is the number of trauma based events that are going on, you know, just increases, you know, we wind up seeing it in the movies on TV. We wind up seeing it in society or, you know, whether or not we want to look at guns, gun laws or what have you. But I think there's something much more implicit that really um, defies a lot of people and they don't really know why they feel as bad as they feel. And you and I talked about that briefly um, is the child rearing, you know, children being brought up in homes nowadays, you know, from the ages of zero to five, they uh, form attachments. And if they are, if mommy and daddy are not there, And, um, you know, it doesn't form a secure attachment. It forms a disassociated attachment 
or a really insecure attachment. And, you know, what they wind up doing is their trust issues, there's crying, there's screaming, you know, there's a sense that I am not safe. So, you know, the thing we know about trauma, and that could be between the ages of zero to five, the thing in that particular period of time is we don't have uh, emotional literacy. So we have no ways of putting words on it. You know, we, we, we know that we were scarred. We know that trauma, we were traumatized in some way. We were left to feel we weren't hugged enough. We weren't loved enough. We weren't, you know, told that it's going to be okay. We weren't put at mommy's breast. And, you know, we weren't given the kind of secure attachment that we need. And we do know that attachment starts from zero through five. So, you know, if we look at that, then trauma is something that is implicit, it's explicit, it is somatic, it, it resides in our body. We have a vagus nerve that runs from, uh, you know, our, our top of our necks all the way down to our bellies. It's the biggest nerve in the, in the body, and it's a regulating nerve into the nervous system. We know that the nervous system is split up, the autonomic nervous system is split up between the um, the uh, sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system automatically reacts, goes into fight or flight mode, uh, hits the amygdala system. We get a cortisol rush. We go ahead and, you know, want to go ahead and, and sell, soothe somehow. So how do we soothe? This society soothes by drinking, drugging, eating, sexing, and spending. And spending is the default condition of what our consumerist capitalistic system is all about. So, you know, if you want to feel good, if you want to go ahead and get away from that trauma TV, that latest trauma, which is, by the way, trauma is the one thing that repeats itself. It reoccurs. So once you've been traumatized, you almost put yourself in situations where you can feel again, because that, you know, allows you to feel like you're alive, even though it hurts. It helps you to feel like you're alive. So what do you do? You're watching TV, you see it, you're watching a death movie, you see it. Then afterwards, they show you a commercial for a new car or a new, you know, t new, new dress or new vacation somewhere. And of course, how do you get that? Well, you have to go to work and that becomes a part of the consumerist model. So people can make money like I did. Uh, and I was making very good money uh, and uh, traveling on corporate jets and stuff like that. And you get all the cash and prizes, but you feel empty. You feel like, you know, something is wrong. Something's going on. And how do I, how do I, how do I handle that? How do I, you know, go inside? And that becomes the beginning of a, maybe from, in my case, over 30 years of therapy and, and uh, a lot of work uh, in the 12 step rooms and a lot of work in looking at trauma and a lot of work in doing a lot of other stuff but not everyone gets that opportunity. So what happens is the person who was abused is an abuser. You know, the, the, the victim becomes the perpetrator. And, you know, we see that again and again and again and again. So it's a, it's a, it's a sad story, but we need to wake up. And that's really where the mindfulness is. You know, when we can wake up, get recognition that we are the creators of our own reality, and then we can, we can wake up and say, okay, I don't have to repeat that trauma. I can change my karma, as they say. Karma 
you know, is, 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 is inherited. In a lot of cases, it's generational, it's epigenetic, it's brought down from one generation to the next generation. And, you know, that is, again, part of that implicit wiring, you know, and we can look at it and say, okay, that's my story. That's my, that's what happened, but I don't have to do that. I can make a different choice when I recognize it. And that's where mindfulness gives you that gap, that, that gap. It's a small gap. It can be 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It's a self-awareness gap that I am part of the problem. I can make the change and make, and do something different. Mm. Yeah. What a cycle, all cycles, plural, so many cycles come to mind through your share there. And just thinking of the big consumerism, just the way our culture has evolved. I think we're finally seeing that it really wasn't a healthy one to start with. It served its purpose when it, when it was good, but it quickly spiraled for so many people into just life detracting as you shared. And uh, I think it's been interesting to see how many people that are taking ownership of even just their career in terms of whether it's working from home, realizing they do better in that sense, or letting the employee employer take better care of the employees. And so in listening to this, and I love that you, you mentioned wake up because as I'm quote air quoting the wake up, it's like, well, gosh, how do people you know you and I get it because we're here talking about mindfulness, but for folks that are living in these cycles, you know, what does it take? Does it take a moment like this, just listening to this podcast I think there are all sorts of ways that people have this intervention come through, but are they even mindful enough to see it when it's right in front of them? What do you think it takes for people to have the opportunity even quote unquote, wake up or these gaps, you know, how does someone even know like, Oh, there's the, there's that gap Keith was talking about for me to now, you know, open in like the light can get into the crack, but how do, how do they even find it in the first place? Mm. Uh, You know, it's, um, it's a really good question. Uh, and I think there are multiple answers to it. You know, um, the consultative answer would be, it depends, but, uh, that's too much of a, a, a cop out. I really believe in many people's lives. It happens when, uh, there is a, another traumatic event, mom or dad dies, you know, a relative dies. There is a loss of a job. There's, a pandemic, you know, when we're in the midst of a pandemic, I think one of the things that has happened, and you mentioned the great resignation, that's what they're calling it, you know, um, this, this idea that people are recognizing that they're giving their lives away to the company store, and they're traveling three to four hours a day, and they're not really seeing their kids, and they're not really given, you know, they're not really taking the time to go ahead and really dive deep they're, They may be going broad, but they're not diving deep into what am I doing this for? You know, what am I dying for? What is the reason for my life? You know, and there are these questions of, you know, why am I here? These are the eternal questions. Why am I here? You know, what am I, you know, I'm going to die. What am I leaving behind? What's my legacy? You know, um, and, you know, for me, it was, you know, having cancer at 27, the Hodgkin's disease. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the first wake up call. But then the second wake up call after that was having cancer again at 38 years old, you know, just literally diagnosed before I was getting married again in my, and, and, and I'm still with my wife and she, she buried with 
she bared with me all these years. I don't know how, but she did. Um, you know, it's kind of like that wake up call when someone dies or you kind of kind of realize that you have fewer years ahead of you than you have behind. But there are some people who just who get it. You know, they 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 kind of go at an earlier age and they kind of get it that, you know, they're they get, you know, some sort of thing with diabetes or some some other thing regarding scoliosis or whatever. You know, there's something that happens that say says, you know, this life is short. And in a lot of cases now, I would say, you know, we've got a another revolution happening in the psychedelics area. You know, I think there's uh, a generation that, you know, I was brought up in the 60s and uh, LSD back then. I lived in a commune. I actually left home at 17. Uh, I wound up, my dad gave me $20, said, here's a suitcase downstairs. Good luck. And I wound up uh, uh, through chance, I wound up eventually uh, joining the army it was sort of like the scene from hair you know the movie hair where the guy leaves the commune and joins the army i was on the commune i was the hippie on the commune and we did uh, lsd timothy leary style and uh you know there was a control there was someone who was there and you were writing your intentions you know that was a big thing like what do i want to get from the trip and uh, you know we had a 20 acre commune surrounded by a mile of industrial properties called the farm. Now there's another farm. This was another farm back then. Uh, we're sort of modeling ourselves as Minas Tirith, the Lord of the Rings kind of thing. But, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we had a experience I had after sort of five, six trips, I had this experience where I kind of said, okay, well, you know, I had a bad trip and I, and, and it wasn't too long after that bad trip that I joined the army and it was a wake up call. I went into the belly of the beast. It's that, you know, we talked about that Joseph Campbell hero's journey. You know, it's the hero's journey. You're in the land of sleep and suddenly you wake up and then you wake up and you're, you heat, you're, you're called to some, something other than where you are. And you decide to go ahead and enlist. And I did that. And I went into the belly of the whale, you know, sucked up by the belly of the whale. And, uh, you know, then you're on this journey and you're, you know, you're trying to discover yourself to go ahead and get yourself or to find something other than where you came from, uh, something like meaning and meaning like why am i here what 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 can i do with my life that really makes something different uh that was a long answer i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i could listen to people's stories all day i mean it's just so interesting to hear anyone's story but and thanks for sharing just a portion of yours and i'm a big believer in trusting like trusting my journey trusting your journey trusting the life that, you know, however it has been presented and just following the each moment by each moment. And I'm not sure if you had any regrets or things through the years, but it just sounds like that was, that was in the cards for you in a certain way. And that was the way that you, you had, that was the path you followed to get you here, of course, and going to the belly of the beast, the whole hero's journey and, and letting you learn so much that through those experiences, no doubtedly, and so now, since you went there with the psychedelics, where do you stand now with it? Are, are you using it in any of your 
work that you're doing or are you pleased to see it coming back to the surface a little bit? I am. I think, uh, I, I think, uh, Rick Doblin over at maps, the, uh, uh, is doing a very good job. And I think you're going to see, I mean, ketamine centers are popping up. You've got a uh, field trip and you've got quite a few others. I don't and haven't used psychedelics since the farm, uh, experience. Uh, but you know, I work, I'm actually a part of the heroic hearts project, which is, I'm an ambassador over there and working with veterans to use psychedelics or look at psychedelics. And there's a lot of work and a lot of studies that, uh, and I'm actually involved with a program that's coming up, uh, to learn more about how we can use psychedelics specifically as it relates to addiction, you know, and, part of the problem that I think people are working with is traumas or um, unresolved traumas. And the problem with trauma is that if you want to resolve it, you have to reframe the narrative or, or actually get into what the narrative is close enough into the narrative to really embody it or feel it in your body rather than just in your mind. And then really um, look at the, attachment around it and you know become a loving parent to yourself you know so when you look at the um, psychosis the sort of sense of split between ourselves you know there there is kind of this like mass psychosis that goes on you know where we we see it in society you've got the red team the blue team them you know the, it, it's we're right we're they're wrong we're right they're wrong you know this whole thing rather than really seeing the collective and the collective is you know we're all in this together and in our own bodies the collective is you know i am fully attached to who i was as a child i love myself and you know uh and i, I can care for myself so the psychedelic assisted therapy that's popping up uh more and more is uh you know, is, is, is the way to do that. And right now the ketamine centers are available, but soon you'll start to see within the next two or three years. And the FDA has already approved, uh, uh, some of the work around that you'll start to see, uh, MDMA or psilocybin. You see it now in Canada, it's legal. Uh, it's actually legal in a therapeutic environment. So when you're able to go ahead and attach to that, you're able to, when people are able to attach uh, and connect with uh, lost memories, you know, these implicit memories when they're kids or pain or suffering in some way or another, and really, you know, love themselves, you know, they're able to blow through what could be, you know, 10 years of therapy in a single weekend. Uh, that's really guided with someone who is a coach or a therapeutic, you know, licensed therapeutic provider in an environment that's safe and sound and then they're able to go ahead and integrate so there is that pre-work there is the actual journey then there's the post integration and all of that work really requires mindfulness it all re really requires the ability to be present in your body to learn how to breathe you do holyotropic breath work stan groff has sort of started that he was one of the he was one of the ones that was uh, very much involved with Ram Dass, um, Timothy Leary, and St it was Stan Groff, and they were all very much involved back in that back in the day of learning how to breathe. And he sort of 
you know, went off on his own and started to think about how can we use breath work as a way to achieve these heightened states, which is really what mindfulness does for many people who are doing long periods of sits and long periods of, you know, examination, self-examination, being able to sit with yourself and really untangle the somatically being able to untangle the emotional stuff and the blockage that might be there, you know, and it takes, it takes patience to go back, you know, through the years and kind of figure out and kind of give yourself permission to do that. It's not, not easy to do that when you're running for the A train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slowing down power of pause. Um, yeah. I'm with you on all of that. I think it's a real neat time to be alive um, mm-hmm. and to see what's happening and to see these cycles repeating themselves in in a good way and we'll see how it all goes but i think it's it it makes me think about how you know he, your healing is your own responsibility and i feel like you can't you can sit around and wait you can but if, if you actually are serious about healing yourself and living a, a life that feels more full of love and based in love and and healthy attachment and whatnot it, it is your own responsibility However, there can be interventions like this, like this conversation or other things that are probably popping up all over the place for people if their eyes are open to see it. And you mentioned a little bit about that self-love. And so I'm, I'd am i love to, to finish, kind of wrap this up with a, a nice cozy bow of compassion and self-love. You've mentioned your teacher, you spent time with Sharon Salzberg, so I immediately think of her when I think of those types of things. Mm-hmm. But could you share a little bit more about how people can use compassion and self-love and practices like that to go in and, and maybe they are already on their healing journey and they've been through some of that part, the hard part, or maybe it's just something right now that people are feeling like they need a little bit more of, but so whichever Avenue, I'd love to hear a little bit more about those types of practices. Well, that's a good question, Rebecca. I, you know, it's, um, one of the things I get to is, you know, we're, um, we, we're continually in a, I, I like to think that human beings are more of verbs than they are nouns, you know, and if you look at it that way, then we're continual energy, we're flowing and there's energies that bring us high and there's energies that bring us low. Dan Siegel talks about it in terms of the window of tolerance, the idea that we can be hyper aroused or we can be hypo aroused. And really what we want to get back into is this window of tolerance. So, you know, the real question, there's a number of exercises that get there, help us to get there. You know, there's, yeah, Sharon Salzberg, Meta is the whole idea of self-love, doing self-affirmations, and then, you know, walking ourselves through this, uh, this maze, if you will, of, you know, loving our ourselves this can start with a you know from uh, I may, may i be happy may i be um well may i be um uh peaceful may i be free of fear so there's a number of affirmations that you can use the other one that i like is i like tara brock's uh meditation the rain meditation you know to recognize what's going on you know so when you're in a hyper aroused they like to think about i did I was an uh, adjunct uh, teacher over at uh, Kripalu for a while, and we did this thing uh, called um, really understanding the um, three-point method. You know, so when you're feeling like there's a tsunami on the horizon, emotionally a tsunami on the horizon, you know, really moving into an awareness of taking a breath in, you know, feeling the body, 
you know, what's going on in, in, in terms of my body physically, you know, what's going on in my mind, you know, what are the thoughts? Okay. Accepting, you know, again, rain, you know, recognizing, accepting, right. And investigating and looking at what's going on internally, uh, integrating and saying, okay, this is, you know, this is what's going on. I accept that. And then nurturing, and that's really where the uh, meta can come in, the, you know, the self-compassion, if you will. And there's a number of other things, you know, to do uh, that I uh, absolutely recommend is, uh, you know, there's the four, seven, eight breathing technique, which is something I've been doing uh, with uh, uh, my coaches uh, a lot. You know, it's, uh, it's the ability to breathe out, breathe in for four, hold for seven, then breathe out for eight. And that really, what we want to do is we really want to activate, we want to hack into our parasympathetic nervous system because that's really, you know, again, the autonomic nervous system is on high arousal mode. You know, we're, 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 we're somewhere hyper aroused. We want to really start to shake it off. We can also move. There's a lot of movement techniques. Uh, you can do uh, this area of, you can dance, you can release it, or you can go ha ha on the out breath. So there's the breathe in four and then hold seven and then out. It's, ah, you know, so we can continue to do that. There's also the um, ability to self-soothe yourself. In a lot of cases, if we go back to, this idea that we're all, you know, between the ages of zero to five, we know that there's been some trauma. It could be implicit. It could be explicit. And, you know, how do we self-soothe ourselves? So this gets back into the whole attachment theory of going back in, imagining ourselves as children, imagining ourselves as, you know, and, and then having someone in your life that you had a secure attachment with or someone doesn't have to be your parents, could be a stranger, could be even a projection of someone that you would like in your life that says it's okay, you're going to be okay. And even seeing yourself going back as the adult self, going back to the child saying it's going to be okay, I got you on this, you're going to be okay, everything's going to be okay. Shh. Even that, shh. I guarantee you, if you're in a room of adults, that's chattering uh, and it's a room of 20 or 30 people and you just do that you do that everyone will quiet down everyone will soothe down and you'll get people much more effective than saying hey everybody hey you know come on no just so there's so many other methods you know listen to guided meditation put your hands over your heart Feel your breath, put one hand on your chest, the other one on your belly, give yourself a hug, you know, and there's a number of things that you can do along that line. One thing I definitely recommend you don't do is you don't turn on some violent TV and or go ahead and exacerbate it with a triple cheese pizza. And although there are many people that will do that because that is one way to instantly get your fix. That's why opioids work. That's why there's a huge cannabis industry because, you know, you wind up seeing the connection of the cannabinoid receptors in the brain, but that's what running does. That's what mindfulness does. That's what, you know, so it's a, it's just a question of how you want to treat yourself in the long run and whether or not you want to take the red pill or the blue pill. 
Mm. <laughs> a full circle ending here and going back to the, the self-soothing it's like everything in spectrum i feel like and having the awareness to know when do you need the bite of that triple cheese pizza uh-huh. <laughs> and when is it becoming a coping mechanism and, right. and sometimes right. it's okay to have like the bite but for yeah. some people that one bite leads to the whole pizza right. or that one bite they already have health conditions where right. that's not necessarily what they need to be putting in, into their body, but it all t- goes back to mindfulness. Or it leads to pizza every day. And that's, yeah. That, that, that's those that's pretty tiring. Yeah. Very tiring, but <laughs> yeah, not, not de- denying, but just understanding what, what you actually need. And I find the more people, myself included mm-hmm. can yeah. ask, what do I need right now? Yeah. And well, that's a good question. I think that the other side of that, that I didn't mention was the whole idea of journaling you know, mm. journaling and really having that conversation with yourself. What do I need? You know, like that is sort of the gap, you know, and a lot of people use journaling as a meditation technique and that's great. You know, most people have their phones and so on and so forth. So, you know, you can ask that question. It's a perfect question. What do I need? You know, what do I really need right now? You know? mm. Yes. Yeah. And that time, that time is sitting, putting pen to paper can mm. be just enough of the pause to even process through that that initial voice that might say i just need a pizza and then it's like yeah. but what do i really need and yeah, that's that stop that's the other one we didn't mention was the stop acronym which is you know stop take a breath observe what's going on pause proceed you know, that mm. kind of thing. you know i haven't heard that but i really like that yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we could keep talking yeah. and talking, but is it time already? It no. is time already. Time and I, I've enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. And yeah. we'll have you back because I know it's just like the tip of the iceberg and you have so many great things to share all your experiences. I just really mm-hmm. admire and the work that you're doing in the world and mm-hmm. helping even, and I just wanted to mention like the working with the veterans. I think that's such a, I love seeing that someone like you, where you've been through it and now you're giving back to the world and then the work mindfulness that you do and helping people that are in these, I'm guessing, corporate situations. So on that note, could you share a little bit more about I mean, your book and where people can find you if they want to learn a little bit more? Sure. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. The book is uh, uh, called uh, From Top to Bottom. It, uh, it's really about finding balance, find balance in an unbalanced world, the mindfulness experience, eight strategies to live life now. And uh, the book really is a, it's a, a mandala, it's a framework that really helps people to live life from the inside out and the outside in. And in the inside out category, there's five areas. There's the body, there's the mind, the body, the spirit, and I'll talk about spirit a little bit more in a minute. And then there's uh, re, uh, fuel, what we put in our you know, eyes or ears and nose and mouth, what we drink, you know, how do we refuel ourselves? And then there's recharging, which uh, is really about, um, you know, how do we sleep? You know, how do we sleep? How do we rest? How do we get a nap? Uh, and the spirit thing that I said, I get back to, I break down the word spirit, uh, you know, the root word of spirit is, uh, is or breath is spear, S-P-I-R. So breath, uh, Latin root word for breath is S-P-I-R, spear, as in spear it, or inspire, or aspire, how we breathe life into the world, and or expire, how we lose our breath and, you know, move into a desperate sort of, sort of area. So, you know, those are the internal five, and then there's three others, which are external, 
which are really around our environment uh, and the relationships is the other one. And then the aspirations, which really goes back to once we get the five, you know, the basic five down internally, then we can aspire, breathe into the world, our aspirations and be a part of that. And uh, so there's a, it's basically a, a roadmap. There's questions at, at the end of each chapter. There's references in the back and, you know, people can use it as they, as they, as they will. There's a lot of story in there. So I did put a lot of my own story as a coach and, uh, you know, just to say that, you know, I'm not, I'm not better than anyone else or no more than anyone else. I'm like learning like everyone else's. Um, the work I do with work mindfulness, um, you know, I use that really as a, a verb more than a, a noun. So it's really how do we work mindfulness? And um, I work with organizations and with people, mostly with people, one on one and uh, do coaching work. Uh, and uh, it's really, you know, it's a combination of, uh, you know, a, a sort of a therapeutic coaching model, if you will to help people get their narratives and get unstuck to go ahead and achieve the kind of things that they want in life. And in organizations, it's much more around how do we, you know, how do we deal with stress? How do we go ahead and look at productivity? How do we, you know, be more of a collective group, a cultural group that is much more on the same page and uh, doing coursework there. And those are like shorter, you know, shorter, dips if you will you know we don't get really into the into the muck and mire that we might get into if we were working you know one-on-one so it's different mm. awesome it all sounds so good and is this all on your website or is there yes, is that the best is. place yeah. yeah thank you uh yeah workmindfulness.com uh and uh, one word and uh, uh on there you'll find loads of resources you'll find you know, uh, videos, information, stuff like that with lots of links. And, uh, I am in the midst of, uh, trying to put together a podcast uh, you've, you've inspired me. Um, so, uh, likewise, I'd love to have you on my podcast. If I'm able to kick that off at some particular <laughs> point in time, you know, it's a, an old dog can learn new tricks and I'm, I'm, I'm learning. So, you know, I love that. Yes. And I'd be honored to <laughs> to be on the other side of the table here. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, problem. Well, I've really so admired, uh, you, you know, what you put together here and the work that you're doing to bring this out into the public. And, uh, you know, thank you for, uh, you know, inviting me to be on the show. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I look forward to uh, learning more and uh, knowing you a little bit better as we go forward. Thank you. Thanks. Sounds good. Yes. Yeah, so nice to meet you. I love, I love the podcast for all those reasons. I'm just meeting so many incredible people and I wish we could keep talking and I'm already, I say this like every time, like, well, we'll do, we'll do more episodes. So we will have some more episodes. I just feel like there's, we've just gotten started with so many great things, but I'll wrap it up. But thanks again for being a guest today, Keith. And thanks everyone for listening. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Yes. Thanks. Thanks. And thanks everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye Keith. Bye. <laughs>